Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us was born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? Before we begin, if you don't already know, I host a free Sacred Creativity Hour, Illumin, Monday through Friday. It's on Zoom. And Illumin is a time of devotion. It's a holy space for creativity, for the sacredness of showing up and being enlightened, made lighter, brighter by that which emerges. Whatever your medium, words, paint, clay, pen, paper, canvas, whatever your art, poetry, prose, drawing, sculpture, illustration, paintings, come join us and give this time to your art, your life, your soul. You can find more at IlluminHour.com. My guest today is Emma Freeman. Now, sometimes we have to go through the darkest nights to live into the lightest days. Emma was recovering from two serious health diagnoses when COVID hit. Within a month, she was divorced, had closed her art store, and moved back in with her parents. Thus begun a spiritual awakening that led to her getting sober, becoming a poet, finding Buddhism, and making art from the earth. Emma is a queer contemplative artist, poet, teacher, and facilitator, connecting deeply with words, textiles, slow stitching, passionate about sharing the transformative healing powers that our imaginations hold, the gifts of slowing way down, and the power of vulnerability and sensitivity to change our lives in this world. She is like a river that becomes an ocean, a gentle force, a quiet storm. Emma thinks deep, asks big, and reaches wide. She is a beautiful soul, and I'm honored to be able to share her wisdom with you. Some of the things we talk about in this conversation are her story of getting divorced, moving home, and getting sober, how her spiritual awakening radically transformed her art, the risk of vulnerability and how it changed her business, how Emma changed her selling from feeding capitalism to meditation and action, the power of imagination as medicine for deep healing, and Emma's art process of quiet contemplation, deep listening, and sacred making. You can learn more about Emma and her art at emmafreemanart.com, and you can catch up on all past episodes at daphnecone.com. May this conversation inspire you to go within, to the raw, wild expanse of mystery that is your beating heart, vibrating body, pulsing life, in order to go beyond, to utter the sacred, your words, dance, painting, art. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the Beyond Podcast. It is truly a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I want to open with something that you said, and then we'll we'll go from there. It's a quote about a big time in your life, and I really want to start with aspects of your story as we move into your art and the world that you're creating both through your art and the spaces that you have online because your story is such a fundamental part of the art that you make and the spaces that you create so this is this is a quote from you once I did the intense inner healing to find myself under all the layers of conditioning trauma coping mechanisms and limiting beliefs I found my creative spirit 
And now she expresses herself much more freely when I sit down at my art table. There is a depth now that I couldn't access before that naturally emerges through my art because of all of the hard inner work I did and continue to do every day. So this is one of the things that I've always loved about you and really want to dive into is this, this inner work that you do. And I'm sure it's been a very long journey and there were some things that really kicked it off. And I, I know that there were three big physical wake up calls. And then there was also everything that happened as a result of COVID the physical wake up calls. Those were before COVID, right? Yeah. So I think about six or so years ago, I found out that, uh, my thyroid had shut down completely. And my, so my partner at the time kept pointing out how exhausted I seemed. And, and to me, I didn't notice it at all. And I thought, what are you talking about? Like I did, I really couldn't see it. And I went to the doctor and had blood work done. And the doctor said that the thyroid numbers were so bad that I was close to going into a coma. And he said that, and it just couldn't sink in. I was like, well, how can that be? I feel fine. And um, so that was one. And then about this, right in that same time, I also, my partner at the time was pointing out, I had all this pain from during my period, like really, really intense pains. And I had always been um, masking it with pain relievers. And she kept saying, it's something's not right. Like, I really think you should go get this checked out. And I kept saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. And so I did finally and found out that I had endometriosis throughout my entire abdominal cavity and multiple cysts. And it was a mess. (laughs) And, And with both of those situations, they felt so confusing because in in my mind, in my body, I thought I'm doing great. Like I feel good. So how can it be that I'm so disconnected from what's actually going on to the point where like it's near death or it's really scary and really bad. Um, So those were two. And then also uh, my relationship to alcohol, which also was being pointed out by my partner. So it was all happening like in the container of that relationship. And with the alcohol, I had been. And we'll get, we'll get more into that. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because I want to first ask something about these two things, because when you hear something like that, I mean, it's such a vulnerable place to be in, to be in this body that now we learn is not working the way we thought it was supposed to be working. And like, what happened in those, in in that moment, in those, in the moments that followed, how did you meet that vulnerability? I was so confused and um, scared and uh, defensive. And I felt like, like these parts, like there was something much deeper going on that I could not make sense of but I had the sense that like something big was not just the physical things but there was something else within that but I was just like this whisper that I couldn't quite even hear um and but it was completely overwhelming especially right at the beginning first of all did you you start treating both of them right yes so you start treating them and if we then jump forward to COVID, to the beginning of COVID, where at that point are you with your body and the healing part of your body? Mm. So at the beginning of COVID, I got divorced from that partner who I had been with. So right at the beginning that happened, we broke up and I moved out of our house into um, Wisconsin to live with my parents again. And at that point I was still um, I had this huge shift happen when that explode. It felt like a life explosion happened at that point. And I remember when her and I were breaking up and this has to do with my relationship to my body. I was standing in the kitchen sobbing 
harder than I think I've ever sobbed. And I remember saying through those tears, I am not going to hate myself through this. And I didn't know where that came from, but I realized looking back that that was a huge change because up until that point, and really the inner work that I had been doing was untangling the self-hate that I had. And that manifested in the way that I treated my body and um, in so many ways. And so really that change at the beginning of COVID kind of cracked open this new relationship with my body and myself that was rooted from this place of love and care that I'd never really felt before. Okay, let's go into that for a little bit because I know, especially like my own journey of loving, I can't just say, oh, I love myself. It comes and goes, honestly, like there's a deeper love that's that's arriving, that's being cultivated, but it's still... There's still so, I feel like there's still so much there. And I'm curious with you, how did that knowing I'm not going to hate myself through this, how did that guide you as you continue to unravel this life that had been holding you so tightly? How did that statement hold you? It allowed me to start hearing much more subtle messages, like from intuition, spiritual messages, what I'm not even sure what to call them, but it removed something, it moved something out of the way. So I noticed that as I was sitting still, all of a sudden, because of COVID and these big life changes, I'm sitting in my bedroom at this little art table with nowhere to go except to sit here with myself and in all of this grief and all these layers, what were going on inside of me, I started to hear things, poetry started to arrive, but also deeper insights about things from my past. There was something that kind of softened and that got moved out of the way, or I don't know, there's something there that's like, like a cracking open or allowing that really in that moment, in that shift from that self-hate and that self-deprecation and all of those things that I was doing, it changed how I approached myself every day. So how I talked to myself in my mind and a big part of all of that was learning about mindfulness and learning about thoughts and emotions. And I didn't have any of that before. So that was a big piece to like, bring in that feeling of witnessing myself and and listening. This is all going to weave into your art too, as, as we move forward, but let's now back up and bring the alcohol piece into it as both the journey that you had with it and how that, what that meant now, as you were starting to heal all these different parts of your life. Uh, So it was a huge part of my life from age 19 until two years ago. And I told myself until a few years ago that I didn't have a problem with it. And I really didn't think that I did. It was a big part of my life. It was woven into so much of what I did. And uh, in that relationship that I was in, my partner started to point out that I was different when I drank and that I seemed to disappear. And I thought, what are you talking about? Like, I'm right here. And she would say like, no, you're, but you're not like, it's like you float away. And I didn't, it took me a long time to understand and also accept that because what I started to slowly learn was how much I really did disassociate and check out from situations and from my body and used alcohol to do that. But for me, the story I had wrapped up in alcohol was, oh, it makes me more myself. It makes me looser and more fun. And so that really had a grip on me while I was hearing this feedback from her, this person who was so close to me. And so it created all of this tension inside of me for a long time. But I kept slowly looking at it and learning that it wasn't just alcohol. It was 
all of these other things underneath it from my childhood, all kinds of stuff was inside of that that I didn't know. And so I just kept pulling it apart slowly. And all the while, I had no idea where this was leading me. It felt terrible. And I just kept wanting it to end. But I felt like I couldn't go back to who I was. I was in this kind of gray area. And I just kept slowly stepping forward. And then during the pandemic, kind of one year in, I was sitting at my table looking out at the trees. And I just heard this message like, to clear, like I needed to clear space internally first, like something wanted to come through. I kept sensing that it was like something big. I didn't know what that meant or what that was. And I was still drinking at that time. And I remember taking a sip of wine. And for the first time I had this visceral physical response. And I felt like my body was telling me to like, get it out. And up until that point, it was always like more, always more. And so it was like my body was responding in a new way to it. And it really didn't want that alcohol to be in there. And so I quit. And it really, I mean, that's when a month or two before that happened is when the first poem arrived. And poetry has become such a huge part of my life. And I know that I could not be writing poetry with alcohol around because it capped how deep I could go. So... There's, there's a couple of things here. One, just kind of a, a little bit of a theory, but that's really fascinating about what you said, how when for a long period of time, your body, when you would drink, would say more, more, and then you have this insight and this insight is, is a result of doing so much deep inner work. You have this insight that's like, you need to make space, you need to clear. And then you go to take a drink of alcohol and body's like, no, get it out. And the thing that I find so fascinating about that is how we will often struggle to make changes in our lives, struggle with cravings. And, oh, if I just stop eating it, or if I just change my diet, or if I just do this, but what I hear in your story is such a key piece of that was this deep work that you did. And then the body naturally followed where whatever words we want to give it, let's say spirit for now, where your spirit was at, it was just a much easier transition because of having done the emotional work. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's fascinating. But then the other piece was you said, how was it like when you drank, you felt that it was bringing you back to like more of who you are, looser, more fun, all of these things. Whereas your partner was like, wait, you disappear. I don't know you anymore. So the thing I want to ask you about that is because it sounds like when you drank, what you got in touch with was more this conditioned way of this is the me I'm supposed to be. I'm putting words into your mouth now. So please change them if I'm off. But it's like, this is the me I'm supposed to be. Look, I'm more relaxed. I'm looser. I'm more fun. When you're actually leaving the you that is you when you feel most home. And first of all, is that an accurate understanding? Yeah. And I think what was confusing for me in all of that were two things. One, there was pleasure in part of it. Like it felt good to drink. It felt really good to like have that feeling. I mean, it also felt terrible the next day, but it did feel good. And so that was really confusing to me because it wasn't like it was all awful. And the other part was that at that time, I had no sense that there was a deeper me. I thought that just me was that person. Now I realize like, oh, there was something so much deeper underneath all of that. But at that time I had no, I was oblivious to that. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk a lot about is being a highly sensitive person. And the piece that I'm particularly curious around with this is actually, before I even say highly sensitive, even though it's a word that we use very frequently and is now like a part of our vocabulary, can you say what that means in terms of your understanding of, of it? Yeah. So well, I read this, the book called the highly sensitive person by Elaine Aaron. Um, and she has done all this research about this trait of high sensitivity. And 
for me, what really helped me understand myself more was she talks about this acronym DOES, D-O-E-S. And so with highly sensitive people, which is about, they think like 15 to 20% of the population, we, so the D is for depth of processing. So we feel things much deeper than most. We are overstimulated much more easily. And we have emotional reactivity. So we respond to emotions in bigger ways than most. And we get stimulated very easily in general. So it's when, you know, she goes into depth about all of those things. But when I read about those, I thought, oh my God, like this explains so much of how I've been my entire life. And I had no language or no tools to understand any of it. And you know, and then I came up with all these coping mechanisms to try to hide them. So that's what it means for me. So then with, say, with the alcohol, there's this way, it sounds like where when you drink, it would almost like dull the high sensitivity in you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So as you begin to take away these mechanisms, these ways of, of, of checking out, essentially, as you begin to take them away, first of all, like you said, it was a gray space, but I feel like that had to have been an extremely difficult space because now you're looking not only at things from your past that you haven't looked at, but you're starting to see you in a whole new light and in a way that may not necessarily fit our cultural norms of this is how to be in the world. So is, is that what's happening? And if so, like, how are you moving through what I'm thinking is a very painful time? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. What you said. Yeah. And it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through because it, I felt like I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I just felt like I was falling apart and I would, I was in therapy and I was trying to find resources, whatever I could find to help me make sense of what was going on, but so little was helping me. I felt like I was just, I was so sad, like deeply, deeply sad and angry. And I felt like who I had been in all of my relationships with my family and friends, it's like I couldn't, I was no longer able to just be that person. So all of a sudden I was different, but it wasn't a different that had any kind of ease or peace or clarity. It was like this muddy, murky. And I had no words. Like I wasn't able to articulate what was going on. So it was just all of this stuff inside of me. And, um, and that's a big part of, I know we'll get to it, but that's a huge part of why I am so open about it now and really try to bring that into the art spaces and the, the classes and things, because I desperately wished that I had more tools at that time. Tools to just to know what was happening, tools of connection, like what kind of tools? To both of those and also to 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 process and hear hear people or understand that what emotions are, what thoughts are, what a spiritual awakening is like hearing stories from other people who maybe have walked through similar things and how art making or writing or different things have helped them come to a deeper sense of knowing and peace within themselves. And um, I think all of that, that I ended up piecing together, there were many moments during that dark time where I thought, oh, this is when people choose to not stay because I absolutely, like, I can remember clearly at least two or three times that I was like, if, like, it's just too hard. And 
And if um, I remember having like closing my eyes and sitting on the couch by myself and thinking, I will not do that to my family. And that was the only thing that kept me here. And I just, it made me feel like that's also, I think, why I try to be so open about what I've gone through. If it can help someone. Yeah. I think this is one of the things about sharing. I mean, it's definitely one of the things about sharing our stories, but there's so much that is hard about awakening to oneself. We tend to get the before and the after, you know, like before I was depressed and had trouble getting out of bed and couldn't eat. And, and now I feel amazing and I love myself and I jump out of bed every morning with joy. And here's the 10 steps that I did to get there. And we don't get a lot of, no, I get it. I was there. I understand what you're going through. And here is, here's my story, like really my story so that you don't have to feel so alone in your own awakening because there is something about waking up to who we actually are as opposed to the personality that we were both encouraged to become by family, by society, by school. So this, this personality that we were encouraged to become, and like you said, felt pleasurable. And yet there is this whole other you that is waiting. And that you is this you of such great depth. And then, and the art that came out of that you is very different than the art that was coming out of the you before all of this happened. So here you are, you're, you're moving through this and you're waking up to this other version or versions of Emma. What is happening both internally and also with your art making as you are waking up? I started to sense these new connections. So I found that things just started to cross my path. So like John O'Donohue's poetry, for instance, I remember, I just, it's like he, like I needed his poetry at the time. It just happened to cross my path during in the last couple of years. And it was the first time that I had read any kind of deep spiritual poetry like he wrote. And it touched me in a way that I'd never experienced. And I thought, I didn't think, I felt something. I was like, I don't, I felt magnetized. Like this is something that I need. And it's speaking to this part, this deep part of me. And, and then the same thing started to happen with like Buddhism and it continues to happen for so long. I felt like I got to figure out who I am. I got to figure out what I do and I got to make the plan, you know, all that stuff. And now I'm in much more of a space of like being open and receptive and being in awe of what passes, like what comes along and then resonates. I'm like, Oh my God, that, Ooh, I'm feeling all of these connections and Ooh, let me go deeper into that. And what is that? teaching me and it is like a completely different way of being because it's not that grasping it's just this kind of allowing but that really has to do with me being open in my body like my senses being open and not clogged and blocked and how did you see that start to change your art because it's it's pretty remarkable how different your art is from what it was yeah completely different before I was doing a lot of illustration work and a lot of product-based stuff that was very lighthearted, very beautiful, but it wasn't personal. Like it didn't have deeper stories within it. And now, and really just naturally, I started through the process of healing. I've been so drawn to textiles that have meaning in them, that have stories and depth and history in them that I can feel and this like slow hand stitching and and what that becomes such a meditation process where it 
it like allows me to go into those deeper spaces. So for me, the art in and of itself, it's changed a lot, the materials that I'm using and the approach, but also it goes hand in hand with the deep inner work now. Like I need it or I rely on it to kind of open those spaces for me. And I know that's something that you offer. So like I said, that's another thing that we're going to get into, but I want to come back to the art piece because I think it's, it's fascinating how our art can change like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to touch on that in a minute, but first, um, as you did all this deep work and as you begin to make space, to clear space, to give up these things that had been keeping you from knowing yourself, what did you think of the Emma that you are now meeting? Like, what is your relationship with her like? And in terms, especially in like coming to terms with the fact that maybe she doesn't fit in quite the way she fit before, because you're, you've opened up to a lot more depth, you've opened up to a lot more contemplation and, and solitude. And so what do you think about this Emma and how does she fit in the world that you live in? Mm. I feel like I have uh, an intimacy with her in a way I never had before because I didn't know. But I don't know, I feel this sense of awe of what continues to show up and, and move through me and reveal itself when I am vulnerable with myself and continue to learn how to do that. And um and it just amazes me how through doing that and being so raw and not knowing where it's leading ever and feeling you know tender and exposed that when i have put any of that out into the world really from a space of like having no idea if it's going to speak to anyone you know but really wanting to find some connection that then those are the deepest connections I've ever had in my life. And it's something that I craved for years, being close to people. And I didn't know really what that meant, but I always felt like there was something holding, there was like something in the way. And now it's kind of a mixed thing because I feel like I'm able and I do have the deepest relationships I've ever had because I have the deepest relationship with myself, but I'm also often feeling strange in the world and like this is not normal it's not the normal way to be so there's definitely that you know tension that was one of the things I was wondering about because I have a similar experience as a human I think the closer the more um, honest I am about who I am both more honest I am to myself and the more honest I am in the world um it's just what you said. It's like the connections feel so much deeper, so much more life-giving. And at the same time, I can feel more alone than I may have ever felt in certain ways, because I'm, as I drop all the things that I know work, um, all the patterns and the habits and I enter more into just what feels true, it can feel both liberating and isolating. And so I really wanted to know a little bit more about that in your experience, because I, I really sense that you walk a similar path. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's really hard. And I feel like mm, there are moments where I find myself wanting to go back like, oh, can I just live the way I used to, even though I don't actually want to, but there are those moments. Um, but what I find mostly what I keep trying to remind myself of is that like, this is all happening for a, a reason to like, not only put us more in touch with who we really are, because that matters like it really matters but also 
the ripple effects that that has in the world. And that is so desperately important. Like there are reasons why I believe like those of us who feel and sense really deeply are here to shift things. Like it's happening to so many of us. And I think the, the ways that we then are shifting other things in the world is incredible. And that's what I keep turning to when I feel lonely or I feel like I'm so strange. I try to find that light to kind of veer me somewhere to remind me that there's a reason that this is happening. And one of those reasons is definitely the art that you're making. I mean, I love your art, as you know, because I have a piece of it in my office. Is the art that you make as a result of all of this is, as we've mentioned, how the art that you're making now is having an impact and it's having a very different impact from the art that you made before. And the thing I want to ask about the art is as you're shifting, as your art has been shifting, like you said, you're paying attention to the things where you have a resonance where you go, ah, this. And so how, how has your art making process changed from drawing illustrations and the lighter uh, pictures that you used to make to the way that you create now? What, what is specifically different in your process? Mm. Um, It's much, much slower. I used to be prolific. I'd sit down and make 50 of something. And I don't do that anymore. Now it's very slow and very quiet. And I spend a lot of time just touching things and looking at things and noticing subtleties in the materials, the thread, the fibers, whatever it is I'm working with, or when I'm writing, like staring and really Um, going into my mind and kind of wandering and feeling in there. And that's completely different. I didn't do anything like that before. And now the art making for me really feels like a meditation process and a conversation with the materials. Before it felt like I was making something to sell, making something for the end. And um, I'm amazed at how now that it's without intending it to be, it just is naturally unfolded this way, but that because it feels more like a meditation process, I'm so much less attached to the things that emerge. I appreciate them and I like them, but it's like this something unraveled there. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll put them in the world, but it, it feels less like it's something that's trying to feed capitalism that I think I was so attached to before, or like also feeding my identity, what it means to sell work and all that stuff. So there's like this softening that's happened in the process too. So then how does the selling piece fit in? Because you're obviously still selling, selling your art and classes. How, how does that fit into this? I'm approaching it now as this ongoing conversation that word just keeps coming up for me this ongoing conversation and sense of like experimentation like I'm gonna see what happens if I put this thing out there and really speak about it from my heart in in a way that I'm always like mindful of stripping away any kind of sales speak anything that feels like it's just not authentic and noticing my expectations when I feel like I'm really attached to selling whatever and and that that's wrapped up in my sense of self-worth and identity that all still happens but like I'm watching it happen um, and bringing that awareness to it so I can take a little bit of its power a lot of its power away and I feel another big change has been I really try to embrace all of this, like the selling part of it is teaching opportunities for me to learn something. So when I put something out there and let's say a class doesn't fill, can I learn something from that? That's deeper than just the sense of like, Oh, bummer. It didn't work. Maybe there's something I can pull out of that to like create something new and try that. So it's just always continuing on. The other piece I want to definitely bring in is Buddhism, 
because I know that it's had this profound impact on both your healing and on your art. And what's interesting to me about this, but that you, you really found it on your own through reading and, and writing, it entered into your world in such a way that it's had a profound impact on your world. So can you talk about what, why Buddhism, how it speaks to you and, and what its impact is on both your life and your art? Mm-hmm. Um this is again, like this amazes me because like 10 years ago, I used to be a photographer and I worked for a photographer who um, introduced me to Zen Buddhism. He was very involved in it. It was a big part of his photography practice. And at that time, I really didn't know anything about it. It didn't speak to me personally, but that was kind of my first exposure to it. And then I didn't think about it at all. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, he had written a book about something with Zen and the art of photography. And I happened to have that book and I was flipping through it and I was reading some of what he had written and these quotes from Zen Buddhism. I was like, Oh my God, this is like, not only is it speaking to me, it's like mirroring what's naturally happening in myself and in my art process, the things like the not knowing mind, and being really present, being present in the moment and what reveals itself through that, the idea of the still point, like that relationship to stillness and silence and what emerges from there. Like instead of reading about something intellectually to try to understand it and like try to become better, like I was noticing that it just was already happening in my life, but it was giving language to some of the things that I was noticing. So that just felt like serendipity. I'm like, oh, okay. So that made me start to read more and listen to more podcasts and just slowly uncover things. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was the practice of the Enzo, the circle painting done by Zen Buddhists. I read about that and I was just, I could feel it in my body. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible that it's, it's an art practice. It has its ink and a brush, but it's um, mindfulness, meditation, deep process at the same time. And it's really about like under, like being really present with our minds and like focusing energy before anything happens with materials. And then there's this burst of energy and, and then it's done. And it's this representation of the moment and the spirit of the artist. It just, everything about that practice was like, whoa, there's something here for me. Like it wasn't intellectual. It was like visceral in my body. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then there were so many other things like the eightfold path, which is all of these different um, things to help really uh, peel back the conditioning of our minds. And I think that is overall what I really love about Buddhism that it's not about worshiping a God. It's about understanding ourselves as humans, our minds and what happens through conditioning and how that creates all of the the suffering. And then they give like, there's so many beautiful tools to start to look at that and practice with it. And all of that just really speaks to me. Well, I want to go into one piece of that, but again, I want to just reiterate that this is so similar to your experience with alcohol in that had 10 years ago, you said, okay, I'm going to learn Buddhism because it's the thing. This is what my, this is what this photographer is doing. And so I'm going to learn it. And if you had done that, you may have, it may have had an impact on you, but it probably would have been a huge amount of work and very intellectual, at least to start. And then to, to, let yourself come into it when it really resonated. And when you had done all this inner work so that you were so open to it, it just found its way to you really. And then your whole being was open in such a way that you were able to absorb it at all levels, not just the level of the mind. And like with alcohol, when your body, when your spirit was ready, your body's like, no, don't want any more alcohol. It just feels like such an important point to come back to again and again, to this journey that you went taking, going in and how going in changed everything that then came from outside. 
and made it so that the things that were really right for you, it's not that it was effortless, but that they resonated and you were able to follow them from this very deep place. Mm, Yeah. So this other piece about Buddhism, I'm going to bring in actually a quote that you had shared with me. And this is from a Zen Buddhist, uh, Norman Fisher, who wrote, the imagination is powerful. It is essential for our humanness. The Bible and other religious texts, folktales, myths, rhymes, poems, plays, novels, anecdotes, music, ritual, pictures, dreams, all imaginative productions rise up from our unconscious to expand the soul, to help us beyond the habitual one-dimensional perspective of our outer perceptions and fearful emotions. Imagination isn't an escape from reality. Imagination deepens and enriches reality, adding texture, depth, dimension, feeling, and possibility. So just last two sentences, imagination isn't an escape from reality. Imagination deepens and enriches reality, adding texture, depth, dimension, feeling, and possibility. And you shared this quote with me. This is from The World Could Be Otherwise, Imagination and the Bodhisattva Path by Norman Fisher. You shared this because it really speaks to where you are right now. What is it about this? What is it about this exploration with the imagination and what they do for us, what they do for our life, what they do for our art? Why does this speak so powerfully to you right now? Mm. Yeah, I, I, again, I recently, I was getting these insights. Like it's, <laughs> it was like this voice was whispering, like it has to do with the imagination. Like there's something about the imagination in a, a new way than I had ever thought about. And then I happened across that book and I was like, oh yes. So to me, I've been noticing that. So when I make these fabric meditation books that I make, I often am using these um, vintage textiles from Japan and, or from India. And I notice that when I'm working with them, my imagination starts to travel to who the people who wove this cloth and dyed it with indigo and wore it or hung it in their houses and sat and stitched it and what the sun looked like and what the earth looked like there. And all of a sudden, like I'm traveling in my mind through these and to these places that I've never been before. Like the art, the material is opening that up, but also my imagination. There's images being created in my mind. And that's deepening my relationship to the art making, but it's also creating these threads of compassion and understanding and connection to other humans, other beings, other parts of the planet. It feels like there's this tremendous power inside of the imagination that we all have. It's become so dormant or um, shut off in a lot of ways in this culture. And I can feel that like, as, as mine is waking up, I feel like that's what's happening. Like, oh my gosh, there's, it goes way beyond just a tool to create things, but which is, it is useful for, but I think that it really holds a lot of the kind of secrets or medicine for much deeper collective healing. And, um, it just amazes me. I'm, how is the imagination right now helping in your healing? Like what, what does that look like? Mm. For you? Um, so in poetry, it's helping me tremendously. So what I've been doing a lot in my writing is going back into memories um, and uh, traveling in them, which is my imagination, like walking through or feeling through um, spaces or um opening up, you know, sensing when there's an image in, sometimes it's a personal memory, some, uh, an experience that I've gone through. Um, and the imagination just continues to kind of like, if I'm, it's 
as if I'm walking through a house, like the imagination just keeps opening the doors or revealing where the next door is. And then I walk in there and I look around and I feel, and suddenly, and I never know where that's leading me. But then when I read what emerges on the page, I realize, oh my God, like I needed, that needed to come up and out. That has to do with healing something that was stuck in me or other times it's like noticing something in the world, like watching a spider wave its web. That was one time for me. Like I'd never watched a spider in the way that I did this one night. And suddenly my imagination was like a mat as I was sitting writing, the writing process is key for me with the imagination. It was making these connections between the, you know, the spider being a traveling weaver and all of these images were coming. And for me, then that was, that process really connected me more deeply to nature, which connected me more to my body and being an animal. And suddenly I'm feeling like, oh, this much deeper way of being in the world. Okay. So then that leads really beautifully to this question that I wanted to ask you about this world that you want to live in and like, what is the world that you want to live in and, and how are you actively creating it? Mm. I would love, well, one, I love this question and I feel like it's a beautiful living question that can keep, you know, evolving. Um, I would love to live in a world where, I mean, where the imagination is really um, understood and harnessed for really what I think it's in our bodies to do as this teacher and this guide. Um, And also, I want to live in a world where like vulnerability is and crying is just something that happens. And it's, there's this collective sense of being in touch with our emotions and the senses in our body. And there's wisdom within it that it's not, that it's deep. Like I want a deep world Mm -hmm. in in so many ways. And I also, one more thing comes to mind, like I want to live in a world where like people are like poetry, people are speaking poetry. Like how about in the grocery store? How about just like in random places where poetry is like reclaimed is what I think it is too. It's the source of like soul medicine. It's not elitist. It's not meant to be this thing that's only for the select few. I think it's really a way for us to return to a deeper part of ourselves. And how are you creating that? Uh, I think through what I'm doing myself every day, like choosing to continue to, um, to write and make this art and not know where it's going or why it's coming out, but just trusting that, that nudge inside of me that I need to keep following these cues and then creating these classes and support circles for people based on those subtle feelings that I have. Like, I don't know why I need to make this, but I need to make this. I don't know why I need to offer this space, but I do. And trusting that. And then over and over, I'm amazed at what the depth that happens within those spaces. So I think that that is kind of a mini universe or something, mini version of maybe the world I want to live in. Yeah. Okay. I want to say one thing in my own experience about that. And then I want to get into the particular classes, like the time types of classes, because as you know, I have this hour that I offer every morning, East coast time called illumin this creativity hour where we just come, we gather, we make, there's no talking. We say a blessing and we make, and it was similar. Like I didn't, I just had to do it. I didn't know why I just had to. And, and it has been the most powerful thing that I have put out into the world in many ways for me. And it's weird because it's one hour and you make, like, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's free. It's not some big production. And yet it has been changing every part of my life. 
And I think it's really fascinating. The reason I share that here is because it's so interesting to hear your experience, to hear your story, where so much of what has been powerful for you is this listening and saying, I don't know why I just have to do this. I'm going to follow this. I'm going to make this piece. I'm not even sure what piece I'm making. I'm just letting it show itself as I make it. And for whatever reason, this is what has to be made. And then sometimes at the end of the piece, like, oh, yes, this, this was why I needed to make it. Or in the case of a class, like, I just need to offer this because this feels important right now. Or in the sharing of your story, it's like, I don't know who the story is going to reach, who it's going to touch, but I have to offer it. What I keep hearing is this very deep honoring of what is inside of you that wants to be made visible, that wants to be expressed, regardless of what you might, your mind might think about it, regardless of what might be the best thing to make, the most profitable thing to make, the most obvious, practical, that you are honoring what wants to be made in so doing, moving towards this world that you want to live in, actively creating this world you want to live in. So I think that's amazing. And I'd love for you to say a little bit more about the classes. So can you just take a few minutes to talk about some of these offerings, because you are using these classes to actively create this world. Mm, Yes. Um, And one thing I want to say that's connected um, to that uh, before I talk about the classes is what I'm amazed at that keeps happening is when I follow that listening and that not knowing and something emerges, then I also like when there is some space from whatever emerged, I notice that there are these metaphors. There's like a connection to um, with the, in particular, the, the fiber work. There are, it's like, it's mirroring what's happening inside of me without me consciously trying to make work about these things. So like with the, I've been burying these fabric books in the earth and I didn't know why. I just felt like I need to bury these books. And the process is engaging in lots of different ways, but I've realized like, oh my gosh, I am, there's so much that I'm needing to release and let go of and shed and then unearthing. I'm in this unearthing process in myself constantly and noticing just those, like, it's just happening, these connections without forcing it and that also feels that's what I love to share in the classes too that one of the gifts of following this way of creating is that these surprising messages and insights will often come through if we can open to them and so a lot of the offerings that I do I kind of have two different kinds so I have support circles right now which are gatherings, stitching circle I've been doing for a while. So we gather and it's an open conversation where people share stories about addiction, addictive behaviors, and then everyone works on some stitching project that they have. And we, we share that too. And that's been really beautiful. Um, And then I've done like a highly sensitive person artist circle that's similar. So it's, I facilitate the circle, but it's really about everyone co-creating together, sharing their personal stories and what they're working on. And then I have classes where I teach more techniques, like these fabric meditation books, weaving with nature. So going out and finding pieces of nature and doing small weavings on them. I just finished one that's a wabi-sabi mixed media books where we explore the wabi-sabi philosophy in the Japanese philosophy and try to root that in the making. So for me, I'm really passionate about taking the class experiences deeper beyond just making physical things to make physical things. It's something that can't be forced. And I feel like I'm always playing with how to invite people to open up and start to explore those deeper spaces um, while also making something tangible. Beautiful. The, The reason I wanted you so much to speak about the classes and is because it's one thing to have these conversations and to, to hear about your art process and to hear your story. And then it's another thing to know that there are places we can go. We can practice the things that we're 
drawn to where the things that you speak of are not only ideas that and not only practices that exist in your personal life, but that you are sharing them with others and making space for others in the same way that I have my communities and, and are practicing that in the communities that I create, that we, we I feel that we need to know about all of these different spaces so that we can find the ones that resonate and, and grow inside of those spaces, that we find the places that feel like home and nurture in us the, pla- the things we most feel need to be nurtured in order to show up in our most creative, imaginative, powerful ways. So that's really beautiful. And I also want to read a quote that you said about community, because I think this really speaks to the communities that you create. You said, what I long for are deep, honest, nourishing connections with other humans through creating art, contemplation, healing, vulnerability, and spirituality. My hope is that if I continue to be brave and share what emerges through me and create spaces for others to gather and feel safe enough to share what emerges through them, that we can feel a powerful sense of community and connection with each other. It continues to be scary to be so vulnerable sometimes, but what I long for is deeper connection. This is everything. We are not alone. We are community. And I agree with that completely. I think it's very obvious from the conversation that that is what you create. Those are the spaces that you create. Before we go into the very last part, is there anything that you want to speak to that I haven't asked about? Um, The only other thing that came to mind was how much curiosity and questions really are a part of all of this for me and like relying on that as a, as a force Like I really now rely on it as this um, presence, what happens, and it's an ongoing question for me, like what happens when I bring curiosity to this situation or to this piece of art or this conversation with people and not knowing what that's going to open, but there's something in that that just continues to amaze me and really softens things. So I feel like that's a key part of um, my life and my work now. And a very, very important piece. And I love that you brought that in. So to see Emma's art and to see the see the art that she's making and the classes that she's offering, but also we shared a lot of pieces of her story, but to read more, not just about her story, but guiding principles. There's a lot of resources on her site of books and materials, art materials, things to read, things to listen to, things to do. There's so much there. And so the best thing, which obviously is to go to the website, which is emmafreemanart.com or to Instagram, but everything is at the website. And you can also follow her at emmafreemanart. And I will go into the gratitude that I have, which is this work of unearthing of going in of listening of honoring what we hear of moving more slowly it's very quiet often this kind of work and not so easy to see necessarily from the outside eye and yet I don't know of any more powerful work, any more necessary work. And the way in which you have approached your journey and stayed on your journey and kept not just persevering, but like blooming and discovering and staying open in the midst of what at times was terrifying what leaves you very vulnerable and open and raw is such brave, important work. I really believe it is the work of our heroes. I think that's the work that you're doing. And the other piece about that is uh, we've had this 
history of looking at teachers as the people who step into the spotlight and tell us how to live. And that's changing. And you are one of the examples of how that's changing, where showing up in your honesty, in your vulnerability, in the courage that that takes in order to not just create connections with others, but let others know, hey, this is the human journey and I'm on it with you. And that together we get to discover and we get to create something new. I, I really believe that is the work of teachers today. And I think you're a phenomenal example of, of what it is to be a teacher now. I'm just so, so grateful for it. So thank you so much, Emma. Oh, thank you, Daphne. And with that, I'd love for you to finish by sharing, because as, as nice as it is to hear this, it's really hard to follow. And so I'd like for you to just close and sharing how you keep coming back to this courage to trust in going slower in listening and being curious and staying with the questions what has you keep coming back when it when it gets hard and keep moving mm. forward to the creating the world that you want to live in mm. um the self-reflection piece is essential for me so it's watching and feeling what happens when I do slow down, when I do go deep and when I trust that, you know, not knowing and stumbling through things that what reveals itself. And, and now I have all of this evidence of that. So I turn to that in the moments, which happen still happen a lot of that getting into those confusion spaces or, you know, chasing things and, kind of losing my way again. And I find that's also one of the gifts of the art making process because it creates these physical marks like these, it's like a map or these things to turn to as reminders. Like, oh, right. Oh, this came through that process. Okay, can I just take one step back in that direction and see where that's going to take me? And can I trust in that not knowing again? like I have before. And that doesn't mean it's not complicated or messy or layered, but those, I like having the visible, visible, tangible reminders, like just go just gent and very gently. It's not about forcing things, but just softly, like just turning in another direction. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you, Daphne. This is amazing. If this conversation has moved you or inspired you in some way, take time with it. Let the words and the wisdom settle in. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, please do. For all show notes and past episodes and to learn about all offerings, go to DaphneCone.com. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify, and you can review it over at iTunes. If you'd like to be part of Illumin, come whenever it fits your schedule. We will be here making. And thank you for listening.